You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So we are in our gratitude series. The hashtag is the cure or the entitlement cure. So exciting gratitude, uh, the entitlement cure. So we're going to be kind of diving into some things today, a few prickly things here and there, but we're all good for it, right? Good, good. Uh, So this week uh, I was at work and my son texts me and he said, mom, I just feel like we all need to chill. He's like, I feel like we need to just get cozy and have a family movie night. Can we do that? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And so sure enough, we get home and we got all cozy and uh, I just told the kids, okay, let's pick a movie. But if you're a parent, you know that picking a movie can actually take longer than the movie itself. And then you always reach that point where you're like, do we even have time now to watch a movie? And so that's like the story in my house every time we watch a movie. And so as they're flipping through the channels and looking up all these things, I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, they, you know, they're, they're looking through it. And my mind is rarely quiet. And so I just start thinking about things. I start thinking about America. I start thinking about the American dream. I start thinking about the Declaration of Independence. Yes, I know. It's very random. But I was thinking about that. And I started thinking about the statement in the Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as I sat there, I was just like, what is that even, like the pursuit of happiness, what does that look like in America today? And all of a sudden I was like, wait, there's a movie called Pursuit of Happiness, Will Smith, 2006. I'm like, kids, find it. And then you know how that goes when mom picks the movie, it's always going to be lame? Like, mom, mom, no. I'm like, watch the movie. And so, okay, so right when the movie starts, my kids, like, this is so sad. Why are you making us watch this? Are you just trying to make us cry? My one son got up twice. He's like, I'm not watching this. I'm watching. I'm going to go play Fortnite. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to sit down and watch the freaking movie. And so, so they were just so upset. And so here's the thing. My kids, they are very compassionate and sensitive. Like so many kids, they're empathetic. And I think we've trained them to, to be that way because it's like, you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa were always, you know, buying gifts for people that don't have enough money for Christmas or this or that. And we, we stop and we buy food and clothing for the homeless person. We, we pray with them the salvation prayer. So So I've always made my kids aware of the pain and the struggle and the hurt in the world, but then to also teach them they could be the solution to the problem. And so my kids are very empathetic and compassionate. So knowing the character of my children, you can imagine how this clip in the movie went over when the father and son had just lost their apartment. Right here. Wait a minute. Where do you want to go? Some place from before. You gotta close your eyes. You close your eyes. I wanna see. Alright, come on, we'll push it together. You gotta close your eyes, close your eyes. It takes a few seconds. Oh my goodness. What open, open, open. Look around! Look at all these dinosaurs! Did you see them? Yeah. Wait, come on, come on, come on! Wait, watch out! What is it? Don't step in the fire. We're cavemen. But we need 
is fire because there's no electricity and it's cold out here, okay? Watch out! Watch oh, out! Oh my goodness! A T-Rex! That's a T get your stuff! Get your stuff! Get, get it! Get it! We gotta find someplace safe! What a good dad, making it into a game and making sure they were safe. But when my kids saw that, they were like, this is not okay. Why are they sleeping in a bathroom? They were so upset. And then I made the mistake of telling them that it was based on a true story. Oh my gosh, they lost their minds. Oh my gosh, the tears were streaming. I think most of us cried the, the whole way through the movie, except my eldest son. He let me know that he was not crying. I'm like, oh really? Then what's the water falling from your face? So, so anyway, so like, can we please stop watching this? Like they literally felt like they were being tortured to watch this whole movie. I was like, no, you are finishing this movie because one, you need to remember how blessed you are. And two, you need to see what some people have to struggle and go through and how to overcome adversity. We are watching this movie. I promise the end is good. The end is good. And then sure enough, we get to the end and uh, they had the biggest smiles on their faces and they were all giggly and happy. And then all of a sudden that was quickly followed by, well, mom. You made us sad for like two hours for two minutes of happiness. <laughs> and my daughter's like, why couldn't we just fast forward to the happy part? <clears throat> I'm like, babe, because if we fast forward to the happy part, you wouldn't understand the immeasurable joy and the happiness because you wouldn't have seen the struggles they had to overcome to get there. And honestly, I've just seen this so much as of late, but obviously in the gen a couple generations where we've raised entire generations to think that they are entitled to happiness without any pursuit. They're entitled to happiness without any pursuit. So obviously the title of my message today is The Pursuit of Happiness. And I want to discuss a few different things, you know, and, and just, just a little caveat, I do understand, like, as believers, we don't like to talk about happiness as so much as joy, because happiness is more of an emotion, um, and joy is more, is more of, like, a state of being, but God also doesn't, he wants you to have joy, but he also is okay with you being happy, <laughs> and so I'm going to tackle a couple topics today, some are a little more prickly, so we'll start with the easier one. <laughs> Yay. Okay. All right. So the first thing, if we want to pursue more happiness in our life, we need to guard our thought life. We need to guard our thought life. Uh, Shelly preached an incredible message last week on uh, the power of our thankfulness, the power of thank you versus the power of our complaint. Um, and honestly, I, I told you guys last week, I was very convicted at Shelly's message. 
And she brought up the fact that one way to overcome complaining is to have a complaint jar. And so every time you complain, you have to put money in it. And then you would bring your money into the house of God. And then I was like, ah, I should do that. And John goes, if, if you did that, we'd be broke. <laughs> yeah, I know he's a turkey, but it's true. Because here's the thing. Yes, I believe I, I have prayed and I have prophesied and I have declared things in this season. But let's be honest, there's been a whole lot of things easy to complain about in 2020. And I kind of started to fall back into that trap of complaining more than I was praying and prophesying. And uh, one scripture that Shelley shared was this in Psalm 77, 3. It says, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So I complained and my spirit became overwhelmed. So the negativity that comes out of our mouth directly affects our spirit and how we feel. Complaining never uh, results in a happy result. Let's be honest. Let's, Let's give some examples, Pastor Becky. Okay. So when your husband comes home from the grocery store again, and there's three things he forgot again, and you're like, Where's the eggs? He's like, ooh. I mean, just one time when he went to the store, I'd love for not the ooh to follow suit. So here's the thing. It's like, you always forget stuff. I gave you a list in order of the direction of the store, literally. It's so easy. I'm so good about that. And you know, but everyone's like, oh, you always forget stuff. Like, that's me like, oh, I love him so much. No, those two feelings don't go together. And then, and then you're at the house and it's, it's a disaster and the kids' crap is everywhere. I'm not like, I love them. No, complaining thoughts never produce happy emotions or feelings. Our thoughts are powerful. The words that come out of our mouth are powerful. So I want to expand on what Shelly was talking about last week with the complaining and the thankfulness because before something comes out of your mouth as a complaint, it first had to begin in your mind as a thought. So I think everything starts up here and we really have got to get good at guarding our thoughts if we want a happier life full of more joy. Amen? So the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. So think about that as, as he thinks will become what he believes in his heart. So is the person, the behavior, and the actions, and the beliefs. So if, if we let negative complaining thoughts run rampant through our brain that are full of anger, resentment, fear, uh, negativity, all of these things, how do you think we're going to behave and be? We're going to be negative, we're going to be uh, complaining, we're going to be fearful, we're going to be angry, we're going to be bitter, we're going to be resentful, and quite frankly, not much fun to be around. So, we've got to be mindful of the thoughts that are running rampant through our brains if we want more joy in our lives. Proverbs 15, 13 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is broken. Verse 15 All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. So if we want a merry heart, we first have to have a merry mind. Our thought life is so important. I know Pastor Lam was just sharing this at our Cherish Nights this last week, and uh, she had shared this with me a while back, and so we've started to implement this in our household. Now, we always sit down for family meals. We're actually really good about that. And we always, how was your day? How was math? What was this? What was that? And you know, you always get like the one word or like one-liners with like zero expansion. And you're just like pulling teeth to get information from your children. 
So Pastor Leanne recommended a while back, why don't we start asking our children, like, what is God speaking to you about? What is he encouraging you with? What is he challenging you on? So we begin to make our children aware that God is a part of their daily lives, that he is actually speaking to them so they can develop a relationship with him, so they can learn God's voice and start applying things in their life. And so we sat down this week and I, and I started the conversation. So what's God speaking to you about? What is he encouraging or maybe challenging or convicting you on? And my middle son says, oh, God's been speaking to me about being brave. I said, oh, that's awesome. Like, why do you think that is? And he said, well, I've been reading lots of Bible verses and stories where all these people got, were so brave and they did like such awesome things for God. So now I feel like I can be more brave. Like I can lift my hands and not worry about what people are thinking about me. Oh my gosh, mom heart melt. And then, and then my daughter, she's like, well, I still don't know what God's voice sounds like. And I'm like, okay, so we had to explain, you know, it's not necessarily an audible voice, but he speaks to your heart. Like when you want to be kind to that person or reach out or do this, like that's God speaking to you. She's like, oh. And then my oldest son's like, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> and, then, and then my middle son, you know, in the harassing things they do as siblings says, oh, well, God should start speaking to you about not raging on Fortnite. <gasps> and, and then he goes, yeah, I should probably work on that. And... And then Henley goes, yeah, but even if you don't rage out loud, you still rage in your head. Oh, wow. And so it's like, oh, wow, that's actually a, a good point. Let's, let's continue that conversation, Henley. <laughs> and so, you know, then I encourage Hudson, like, I'm actually proud of you that you're trying not to rage out loud and pound your fist and yell things. I said, but it's one thing to be disciplined and use self-control on the outside, but are using the same discipline and self-control up here? Because at the end of the day, you can be obedient outwardly, but still rebellious inwardly, can't you? And so, but at the end of the day, you're going to have the same result. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if it's all up here, eventually it's going to be here, and then it's eventually going to come out. So that is why we have to be so good at guarding our thought life. And so... Um, we were just chatting this through and, and talking to the kids about their thought life. And, and I'm really trying to teach my kids about their thoughts because that's where I said it all begins. And I think too often our thoughts go uncontested or unchallenged because they're just up here and no one hears them. But eventually it will come out. And so uh, things, I do like these things with my kids. So, uh, you know, when I'm cooking dinner and I'm like, dinner time, get off your game or, you know, go clean your bedroom or go take a shower, which I realize boys at that age don't prefer. So I'm like, get, take a shower, come clean up this, help mommy with the dishes. I already know the brain wants to go negative. I can already see the eye roll coming. And so right when I put out a request that I know they're not going to like, I'm like, don't hate me in your head. Don't hate me in your head. On your father and mother. And they're always like, ugh. But it's like I catch it. I, I make them aware of what their instant reaction is in their mind and I catch it so it doesn't take root and then I challenge them to honor because I don't want any of that eye rolling, that disrespect, that mom, so annoying, any of that. So I'm like, don't hate me in your head. I instantly call them out. And they laugh because they know it's true. They know I called them out. But um, it's quite traumatic, but it, it really does help. It really helps. And so, um, and I learned this lesson so many years ago with the importance of our thought life. And, and I really want to encourage you, if you are struggling with negativity, 
or complaining or anger or bitterness or resentfulness in your mind, I want to encourage you to go back and find a message I preached many, many years ago called Mind Games. Mind Games. I don't have time to get in all the principles, but it was for three years I was angry and I was depressed. And I thought there was just something medically wrong with me. But what ended up happening through a crazy series of circumstances and a very funny story, God revealed to me in less than a week's time that all of my emotions, how I was feeling was directly related to the negative thoughts running uncontested in my mind. And once I realized it and I learned how to take every thought captive and then arrest it and boot it out and replace it with the word of God and then be thankful and praise God, literally everything shifted like overnight. I was a completely different person. So if this is you, go find the message, Mind Games. It will help you and your friends and your family will very much appreciate it. Um, So... If we really want to pursue more joy and happiness in our lives, we need to guard our thought life. Amen? Amen. All right, moving on to things a little more prickly. We ready? Okay. Well, if you're not ready, I'm still going to say it. So, (laughs) Okay. So if we want more joy in our lives and if we want to pursue happiness, we need to overcome the entitlement spirit. We must overcome that entitlement spirit. You know, as of late, I've heard a lot of these things like, well, I deserve, I deserve, I want that house, I want these shoes, I deserve that size diamond, I, I this, I that. And, uh, and I've heard a lot of conversations about, I have a right to uh, free education, and I have a right to free healthcare, and I have a right to free government money, I have a right to all these things. I'm like, actually, no. Yeah. You have a right to pursue happiness, not it to be handed to you. And so, so here's the thing I have found with this. When we are telling our generations that are coming after us these things, that they're entitled to this without having to work hard, like what are we doing? Why are we telling them they don't have to put their hand to the plow to anything, but they should receive everything? Like, are we wanting to enraise tiny little lazy monsters? I don't understand why we're doing these things. And so we really need to challenge this mindset. We have a right to pursue happiness, not for it to be handed to us. Yet we reinforce the exact opposite in our society. We've been going out to restaurants um, when they were open. And if you are a business owner, can I just encourage you? Stay open. Stay open. You have a right to life, to liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They are taking away your right to pursue happiness by forcing control and shutting you down. How can you be happy if you can't feed your family? You have a right to work. You have a right to run your business. I want to put, I think the same people that are counting the COVID tests are counting the election ballots. Like, what are they doing? They need to stop it. So, one moment. This is my third service. I have t- I have not stopped talking since last Saturday. Anyways. So, going to these restaurants, it's like you know how you can tell there's like a lot of new waiters or waitresses and they're just you can tell when they're learning and so you're extra gracious, you know, towards them, but uh I've been like, "Oh, you guys seem new. You're amazing," you know, and they're like, "Yeah, actually our entire staff is new." I'm like, "Wow, why?" They're like, "Oh, well, the original employees are making more on unemployment, so they chose to stay home, so they had to hire all new staff." Like, you want to know how many times I've actually heard that? 
They make more money on unemployment, so they have the ability to work, but they choose not to because they make more money being lazy staying home than putting their hands to work. I just want to communicate this, that there is no such thing as government funded. No such thing. The government has no money. They use our money to redistribute it to people who choose not to work. Now, here's, here's the thing. Don't, I'm not mean. I'm very generous, and I am nice. And the Bible talks about taking care of the widow and the orphan. And the Bible even talks about extending your hand to the poor, the needy. But I think the extension of our hand to the poor and needy needs to be a temporary thing and not a lifelong thing. Because Jesus talks about opening deaf ears, opening blind eyes, healing the leper, you know, cast all these things. But when it comes to the poor, he doesn't say, and then for the poor, you just hand them a big fat paycheck. It doesn't say that in the word of God. It actually says, so he has a solution to all their problems. They heal, they heal, they heal. But when it comes to the poor, he says, preach the gospel to the poor. Why does he say that? He says, preach the gospel to the poor because within the gospel message will teach you how to prosper, how to thrive, how to be a good steward, how to tithe and open the windows of heaven over your life. The gospel is going to be the thing that set them free. That's what's going to actually bring true change, a lifetime of change and transformation, not a temporary band-aid. So I am all about extending ourselves to the poor and needy, and our church does it so well. I even this week heard a story of just taking in a mom that didn't have a place to go with three kids, and they're getting her clothes, and they're getting her food, and they're making sure she has a house, a roof over her head. Like, we do that so well. But we need to teach them what the Bible says so we don't have to stay in that situation. And I think it's really sad when people have the ability to work, but they rely on unemployment or welfare or food stamps because that's easier. So you're happy to take our hard-earned money so you can stay home. Ew. Stop it. Ew. This is not okay. It is so unbiblical. This is not... Entitlement, this is what entitlement does. It passes along the responsibility to someone else now has to carry it. So now we have to carry your responsibility because you won't take on your own responsibility. And so it's a gross abuse of this principle. And entitlement, like I said, is rejection of the principles of God. We, we all know, uh, most of us know the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And you can read the passage later, but I will summarize for right now. Um, in this story, it talks about a master who uh, calls three servants to him. And he says, um, I'm going to be going out of town. I'm going to give you five talents, meaning a sum of money. He gave five talents to the first servant. To the second servant, he gave two. And the last servant, he gave one. And he said he gave them according to their ability. And so then he went out of town, and then they went, they were supposed to go to work with these funds. Well, when the master returned, the one with five put his money to work, and he actually doubled it and made it 10. And the one that was given two went out and worked and doubled it and made it now four. But to the one who was given one talent, he came back and he said, I buried that in the, the ground. I did nothing with it. I didn't work. I wasn't faithful with it. I just buried it in the ground. You know what the Bible says about that person? Get ready. Well, first of all, to the two that doubled it, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things that talk about how to be promoted. You're faithful with what's in your hand. You work hard. But to the one that didn't do anything with it, it said, you wicked and lazy servant, take the one talent from him and give it to the one with 10. 
Isn't that so opposite of what we're talking about right now with government? They're saying, take the one that was faithful, that worked hard, who was diligent, take their 10 and give four to the one that did nothing and was lazy. That is unbiblical. You actually, if you are lazy and you don't work and you don't put your hand to anything, God will remove that from you and give it to the one that is faithful so he can multiply it and bring blessing and increase in prosperity. So that is biblical. And, and the, why we need to undo this entitlement mentality is because entitlement pe- entitled people are never satisfied. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 4, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. It'll never be enough. You can never give them enough or do enough because they're entitled to it. But, a de- but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So if you want to be fully satisfied, be diligent with what's in your hand. Work hard. Entitlement is an insatiable appetite. And the Bible says if you want to be happy, here's the solution. Psalm 128.2. When you eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it, it shall be well with you. Eat what you make with your own hands and you will be happy because working hard, we are meant to work hard to take territory and dominion. And when we are doing that, we are walking in the will of God and we can't help but be proud and excited. And there's, why would you not be proud of yourself if you're being diligent and faithful and you're a hard worker? It's a godly principle. But I'm just seeing like, where is the pursuit? Where, where is the hard work? Where is the, whatever it takes, we're going to do it to make it happen. You don't see much of that anymore. And I want to show a video clip of uh, the cold calls. You guys, we're going to show a second video clip to talk about doing what it needs to be done to make it. Whoever brought in the most money after six months was usually hired. Yes, hello, Chris Gardner calling from Mr. Sheets to sign clients. From the bottom to the top. From the doorman to the CEO. They'd stay till seven. I had Christopher. I had to do in six hours, but they'd do in nine. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Gardner. I'm calling from Dean Whitt. In order not to waste any time, I wasn't hanging up the phone in between calls. Okay, thank you very much. I realized that by not hanging up the phone, I gained another eight minutes a day. Why, good morning to you. My name is Chris Gardner. I'm calling from Dean Will. I also wasn't drinking water, so I didn't waste any time in the bathroom. Uh, yes, I'd love to have the opportunity. Okay. No problem at all, sir. Thank you very much. Amazing. So he learned if he didn't hang up the phone and just kept dialing, he gained a few minutes in the day. He didn't complain about the fact that he had to do in six hours what everyone else got nine hours to do. He did what it took to succeed. He didn't eat. The video goes on. He, he didn't drink water. So you don't have to waste time in the restroom. Like you do what you've got to do. You do your part and then let God do his part. You know, I remember in our uh, early 30s, Pastor John and I were like, we live in our best life. Um, we weren't pastors at the time, we, um, but we are living our best life now, just in case you thought I didn't think I was. Um, so living our best life, like we were making so much money, it was ridiculous. Like we owned 13 properties across the U.S. We had $300,000 in our bank account. We, John would be bringing home paychecks, like a commission would be like 80 grand. Like it was crazy the kind of money we were, we were making. We were at the top of our game in our early 30s. 
But we all know what happened. Like when the market crashed, we literally lost everything. We lost every property. We lost our own home and we had $200 left in our bank account with no credit cards, no jobs, because everything dried up. We did what we had to do to pursue our recovery. Yes, we were blessed. Yes, we actually received beautiful blessings and gifts and things like that in that season. And that's, that was God's, God's doing. But our part was this. So here's Pastor John, literally at the top of his game, making ridiculous amounts of income to now a few weeks. He's taking side jobs, cleaning up construction sites to make $15 an hour so he could put food on the table for our family. We, had, we started selling everything that we could do without. And every item we sold, my kids would cry. It was like the most horrible thing. Like we sold our like little wine rack and they're crying as the person drives away with it in our car. We did, we had, I sold my wedding ring at the time, but God obviously restored that. But we, I, I took a nanny job. I had two boys, three and under. I, I took a nanny job for another little boy, a baby boy who happened to have colic. Was it fun? Absolutely not. Did I enjoy it? No, I did not. But did I have to do what I had to do? Yes, absolutely. We had to pursue our recovery. We had to work hard and do what it took. There was still, it it took years to financially recover from losing all of that. And we were still trying to climb our way back out when Henley was born eight years ago. And I remember as she, you know, I always wanted like the big bows on her head. And so I started making these elastic headbands for my sweet baby girl. And then everyone liked him so much. They were like, oh, can you make me some? Can you make, I'm like, oh, God is putting this idea in my head where I could actually do something I enjoy doing and I can put my hand to something so he could bless it. So I knew nothing about getting a business license, but I went down to that little county office and I got my business license and I started Victoria Babies. And, and I'm telling you, this was difficult. So I had, I had the three kids at home now, so I would make bows and clips all hours of the day. Every nap time, I do it till 1 a.m. trying to get hundreds and thousands of hair bows sometimes made so I can participate in these fairs or these shows. And there's a photo of what I used to do. That's what I did. So I did that. I, I would, I would, you know, pay the fee to be a part of shows and then I would hustle. Oh my gosh. I, I would hustle. And at this particular show, I made $2,200 in three days. But that did not come without hustling and a little bit of embarrassment. I, I went from the person who, who would, you know, bring home $80,000 paychecks in a month to now, literally, I was out there like trying to get people to come to my booth to sell a $4 freaking hair clip. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I was that person, like I'd put candy on my table to draw the kids in. I know every mom is mad. And then, and then I'd get them there and then I'd slip a hairball on their head and then I had a princess mirror. I'm like, oh, you look like a princess. I'll sell you three for 30. <laughs> You guys, I was that person. Oh, <laughs> I was so embarrassed at times. I'd run into people I know and they see me like negotiating over a $4 clip. And I was like, oh, dear God. Yeah. Yes, it was embarrassing at times. And it was so humbling, but I'd rather be humble than prideful. Yeah. We did what we had to do to recover. And how dare I really think that that was beneath me? Nothing is beneath you when you need to provide for your family. Nothing is beneath you when you need to provide for your family. And I know a lot of people are just, they're like, oh, you know, I don't, that doesn't make enough money. Or I don't like the hours or, oh, it's not my dream job. So you choose to stay home and do nothing? 
God's not going to honor that. What you've got to do is pick yourself up, swallow your pride, humble yourself, and hustle. And then what you put your hand to, watch how God will bless your faithfulness, your hard work, your diligence, your lack of laziness. He will bless you. He will bless you. Nothing can be beneath you when you're providing for your family. We must pursue our dreams and our happiness instead of putting, and we need to put an end to that entitlement spirit. And how are, how are we going to do this? I mean, it's running rampant right now. And I think one thing we need to do, if you have this revelation of hard work and ethic and pursuing and, and doing all these things, we need to actually come alongside the younger gen- generations and pull them out of this mentality that will not go well with them. It will not go well with them. They will, all, they will be happy when they are diligent with their own hands. So we need to come alongside them. If we're not going to teach them, who is? Hey, the government's not going to teach them. So we, I don't want that generation with that entitlement spirit running our nation in a few decades. No, we have to come in and pull and teach them. The Bible says, teach them all the things that I have commanded you. We are responsible, each and every one of us, to teach them. And if you are still a parent and you have the privilege of still having your kids in your home. We need to teach them to not be entitled. We need to teach them how to work hard. Teach them how to save. Teach them to be fruitful. Teach them how to multiply the things that are in their hand and not be wasteful or entitled. I mean, I am constantly trying to do this. Yeah, I, now we're in the era of where I have a gardener. I have a pool guy. Praise God, the best decision I ever made was to get a housekeeper twice a month. Don't hate me. It's like the best thing in my life outside of Jesus and John and my children and the church. I mean, uh, when I got a housekeeper, I, I arrived. I arrived. Like, this is, like, my best life right now. And so here's the thing. So even though I have the gardener, you're still going to pull weeds. Because we're in the, like, everything's digital. Oh, when is the last time our kids had to get dirty and work with their hands? They've got to learn how to get dirty and work with their hands. Because they made it to do it someday, and they need to know how. We've got to teach our children. You know, I really love actually doing nice things for my kids. I love doing dinners. I love making their lunches. I love buying them gifts and and spoiling them on their birthdays and surprising them with things and vacations and all that. I love all of that. And I like to do those things for them. But I also need to remind them that they have two hands and two feet. So you know what? You can take out the trash. You can fold the laundry. You are doing the dishes. Guess what? You even have the ability to make your own sandwich. And guess what? Guess this one's huge. You can get your own glass of water. It is the worst. And so when I'm, I'm busy, busy, busy cooking dinner and they're laying on their butts and they're like, mom, can we have a snack and water? I'm like, no, is my name Cinderella? I say that all the time in my house. I'm like, am I Cinderella? Yes, I love to bless you and to take care of you, but I am not your servant. You need to get up and get it yourself. And they laugh every time I say, you know, if I'm Cinderella or not, like, sorry, mom. Um, But we've got to teach our children to do things for themselves, to work. You know, we'll be at we'll be at Target, and this just happened two weeks ago. My daughter, you know, we're there, and of course, she sees something that she's always wanted. Mom, I've always wanted this. I'm like. Oh, so you want this very unnecessary item and you just received 12 for your birthday. Uh, what? She's like, no, I need it. I need it, mom. I'm like, you have your money. 
you work, you have your own money. She's like, no, I want to use your money. I was like, no. If you want it that bad, you can use your own money. So you know how much a value of a dollar is. And if you really want it and you want to save up for it, you can buy it when you have enough money. Because I want to teach my children delayed gratification. I don't want to teach my children they get whatever they want, when they want, so when they're older, they upcharge their credit card to an, an astronomical debt because they never learned how to have delayed gratification and a value of a dollar. They just buy it when they want it. We have to teach our children We need to teach our children to pursue and not just be entitled to. Amen? Amen. Amen. The third point is if we want to pursue more happiness and joy in our life, we need to have determination. Determination. And let's roll that last video, guys. So the truth is, I was arrested for failure to pay parking tickets. Parking tickets? <laughs> and I ran all the way here from the, the Polk station, the police station. What were you doing before you were arrested? I was uh, painting my apartment. Is it dry now? I hope so. Jay says you're pretty determined. Oh, he's been waiting outside the front of the building with some 40-pound gizmo for over a month. He said you're smart. I like to think so. And you want to learn this business? Yes, sir, I want to learn this business. Have you already started learning on your own? Absolutely. Jay. Yes, sir. How many times have you seen Chris? No, I don't know. One too many, apparently. Has he ever dressed like this? No. No. Jacket and tie. First in your class? In school? High school? Yes, sir. How many in the class? Uh, 12. It was a small town. I'll say. But I was also first in my radar class in, in the Navy, and that was a class of 20. Can I say something? Um, I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what? I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. Is that fair enough? Chris, what would you say if a guy walked in for an interview without a shirt on? And I hired him, what would you say? He must have had on some really nice pants. (laughs) Oh, how good is that? How good is that? He was determined. He was arrested the night before over parking tickets he could not pay. He spent the night in jail, and he had just got this opportunity for a job interview, and he had planned, he had ironed his clothes, he was going to be ready to go, but he was in jail. He had to run straight from the jail to this high-rise with these incredibly successful businessmen, but he didn't let that stop him. He could have let it stop him. He had paint all over his body. He was wearing a white tank top, but he was determined that he was going to get this job. Nothing stood in his way. I feel like we need to get a little more determination on the inside of us to pursue our dreams, to pursue our desires, to pursue the things that God has placed in our hearts. When when did we stop believing that all things are possible with God? Like, when did we start believing that we were victims and not more than conquerors? We need to rise up with that determination and say, nothing is going to stop me and nothing is going to get in my way. 
The Bible says in Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. And there's a scripture in Ephesians 6 that says, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. I just, I literally picture the weariness in that scripture. Oh my gosh, I've done everything to stand. Come on, stand therefore. Don't stop standing. Did you know the mountain is there for you to climb over? The valley is there for you to walk through. That wall is placed in front of you for you to kick it down. And that that unknown, that uncertainty is there because you need to be reminded that you need to trust God. We need to rise up in our determination and our pursuit of the things that God has placed on the inside of our hearts and never be shaken, never stand down, and never back down. Amen? Amen. And I'll close with this. I love determination, that never give up spirit. Even when you're weary, the Bible says, don't lose heart. In due season, my friend, you shall reap. But another person that was determined was our Savior, Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was determined to get to Jerusalem. He was determined to get to Jerusalem. But he knew what awaited him at Jerusalem. The trials, the tribulations, the betrayal. He was going to be arrested. He was going to be beaten, whipped 39 times, one short of a death sentence. His beard was going to be pulled out and he would be crucified publicly for everyone to mock at, spit at, punch as as he walked by. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, but it says he was determined to get to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission to pay for your sins and my sins on that cross. And he was so determined because he knew you were on the other side of his mission. I want more of that kind of determination. Jesus was that determined to go to the cross so that you could be saved, so that you could be forgiven, so that you didn't have to spend an eternity in torment after you breathe your last breath on this earth, that you could actually spend an eternity with him in heaven. And then we also get to experience a little bit of heaven here on earth. He was determined to cover your sins, to pay that penalty so that we could receive salvation. He was determined for you, friends. He was determined for me. I would love everyone would just close their eyes and bow their heads really quickly. God, we thank you for your determination to not give up no matter what the struggle, what the heartache, what the pain was. You loved us that much. You were so determined to get to us. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be just as determined to follow you to walk in your ways, to seek your face. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.